Riot for the Kingdom. Welcome to episode 15 of Let's Riot. I'm your host, Shannon Gressley. Let's Riot is a podcast produced by The Bedco, where we create space to learn about and practice heavenly rhythms for our everyday and get real about hard questions we face as God's people. To find out more about The Bedco, check us out on Instagram at The Bedco or online at thebedco.org. So last week we started our conversation on the discipline of study. We established that study is the spiritual discipline of understanding and being transformed by God's word. But if I'm being honest, there's conversation to be had here because I've seen the hateful roots that the idol of knowledge can make in our hearts. It preaches a false gospel that says anyone who thinks differently than us is dangerous and not to be trusted. It divides and creates sides. And honestly, it throws aside the spirit of God for the illusion of the security of, quote, being right. We see it in our Christian culture all the time. We judge our brothers and sisters in different denominations, saying that they're not really Christian at all, or they're just plain weird. We are bruised and battered by debates rooted in pride rather than love. We discount how Jesus is moving in others' lives because we don't understand it and it doesn't make sense to us. We argue about who is saved and who's not and try to take the place of judge. We use self-knowledge as an excuse to stay the same rather than being transformed. I couldn't talk about the discipline of study without checking our motives behind why we study and seeing where we find our safety. Is it in right answers or in our trust in God? Because here's the thing. We are called to know truth. Don't get that wrong. Studying to know what God says so that we can hold fast to it is not wrong. But when we try to take the place of God because we think we know what he meant is a slippery slope and it puts death to unity and breeds fear in our lives. Knowledge should always glorify God, not our own minds. So if study transforms The idol of knowledge hardens our hearts. The idol of knowledge says, I don't need to be changed. I know what's right. It takes our heart of flesh and turns it back to stone. Honestly, I think it's a coping mechanism for fear. That fear that whispers the lie. Are you sure that's what God said? Because here's the thing. The enemy of our soul is crafty. I know he is. Because if the devil can't convince us that what we believe is untrue, you better bet he'll twist what you believe into an insecure place. A place where you need pride to feel safe, to feel protected, rather than trusting in who God says he is. It's not something to play around with. And yet we let each other do it all the time. I will admit I have done it. So how the heck do we start having a healthy view of study and seek and ask for true knowledge and understanding from Jesus? Well, I'm just going to forewarn you that this episode is going to be a scripture packed episode. There's just too much good stuff not to pull out of the Bible for this episode. So we're going to start with my friend James and James 3 He says, is there some wise and understanding man among you 
then let his life be a shining example of the humility that is born out of true wisdom. We could pause right there, but he goes on and says, but if your heart is full of bitter jealousy and rivalry, then do not boast and do not deny the truth. You may acquire a certain wisdom, but it does not come from above. It comes from this world, from your own lower nature, even from the devil. For wherever you find jealousy and rivalry, you also find disharmony and all other kinds of evil. The wisdom that comes from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, approachable, full of merciful thoughts and kind actions, straightforward with no hint of hypocrisy. The people that you know who really know their stuff, who know the Bible forwards and backwards, are they the people who would also be described as peace-loving, gentle, approachable, full of mercy and kind actions, straightforward with no hypocrisy? Do they not pick fights and boast in the answers that they know? Do they use gentle words? Do they not raise their voice? Are they approachable? Do they welcome sharing what they know rather than pushing it on people? Are they kind to others? Are they straightforward and not manipulative? Are they not passive aggressive? We have to allow study and his knowledge to transform us, to cast out things like jealousy and rivalry. Otherwise, those things are going to choke out the presence of God in our study. Because like all spiritual disciplines, study cultivates the presence of God in our lives. But it can so easily be twisted. The discipline can become the point rather than the presence of God. And when it does, we lose the fruit God bears in study. We lose a pure, peace-loving, gentle, approachable, merciful, kind, straightforward lifestyle that study breeds in knowing him more. Because all knowledge comes from the Father. My man Matthew says, at the time Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. He revealed them to little children, people who weren't coming to him with an agenda, people who weren't coming to him to test him, people who weren't coming to him to back up their own beliefs, but rather little children who were seeking to be taught, who were humble enough or maybe just innocent enough to come and say, yeah, I don't know everything, but I want to know what you know. So are we coming to learn from our good father when we're seeking knowledge, when we're studying? And are we believing that he wants to teach his children, that he wants to give us good gifts? In Proverbs Nine, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. We have to come to him seeking knowledge from him and with him in his right place on the throne as the giver of knowledge and the maker of knowledge. Like, let that blow your mind for a second. That the God we serve is not just the giver of knowledge, but he made that knowledge. We give him glory and praise, not our own minds, 
not our own understanding, not how quick we can get something or memorize something. We come with fear of the Lord, with awe of who he is, that he is the freaking maker of knowledge. What? And then later in Proverbs, or actually before, sorry, Proverbs 2 says, For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. You will then understand what is right and just and fair. Every good path. For wisdom will enter your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you, and understanding will guard you. He paints this picture that knowledge is somehow protecting us. It's guarding us. But this knowledge isn't protecting us in the way that it's like ready to fight, that it has cannons at the ready to go off whenever an enemy approaches or any uncertainty comes into our minds. Rather, it says discretion will protect you. And so I looked up the definition of discretion. It says, discretion is the quality of behaving or speaking in such a way as to avoid causing offense. Huh. <laughs> it's this place that we invite love into knowledge. Where we avoid causing offense, not because we don't know truth or we're unsure of what we believe, but because we hold love and knowledge in the same hand. And then in being guarded and protected by this knowledge, it says we will understand what is right and just and fair, that we'll be on the good path. As Jesus said, you'll be in the way, in him, that he himself will be our shelter, that we will understand how to walk with him and in him and under his authority and in his power. This paints a picture of a knowledge that protects us and casts out fear. And that really reminds me of the passage of 1 John 4, 15 through 18. It says, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the, is the son of God, or if anyone has the knowledge that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how we, this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but lo perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Over and over again, we see that love and knowledge are interconnected in the Bible. That knowledge should bring more love for God and more love for God should lead us to the scripture and into this want to know him more. Because when we start knowing him more, we deeply understand that God is love. Knowledge leads to love the love of God. It doesn't lead to some cold test that we get quizzed on to see if we know the right answer. Jesus is more concerned 
with us knowing who he is, with being in relationship with him, with casting out fear and living in love that leads us back into truth, then he is about how well you can debate, about how many right answers you know, about how many verses you have memorized. Those things aren't themselves bad, but when they become the point and we miss the love of God, then we have a problem. Because 1 Corinthians 8 says, it's easy to think that we know over problems like this. But we should remember, while this knowing may make man look big, it is only love that can make him grow. For if a man thinks he knows, he may still be quite ignorant of what he ought to know. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Knowledge without love kind of just becomes pride. It becomes a look at me show. Let me tell you what I know instead of let me tell you what Jesus taught me. Knowledge puts other people down while love with knowledge invites people in. But it goes the other way too. Because in Romans 10, it says, for I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Because zeal without knowledge of the truth kind of falls flat because we're excited about serving God, but we don't even know the person that we're serving. We don't even know the person that saved us and he is inviting us to know him. He is saying, saying the veil is torn. Come in and see me. Come be with me. Let me enjoy your presence. I want to be with you. Let me teach you myself. You don't have to learn from your pastor or your friend or your parents. Let me teach you. Don't come with your agenda or your test or your own beliefs that you just want me to back up because I'm not going to. I'm going to teach you the truth. That's what Jesus is offering us, the truth and nothing less. There's this story that Bible scholars like to tell. It's one that they call um, the ignorant but loving mother. <laughs> what a lovely title. The story goes, she feeds her children an all-meat diet. Mm, not the best, but she believes that meat is the best kind of food. One day, she gains some important knowledge after reading a nutrition guide. It's good. And she starts being buying a mixture of food types for her children. As a result, her children become healthier. Who would have thought? But the question is, did this mother love her children more before or after she gained the knowledge? Well, the answer is easy. She loved them the same. But until the knowledge, her love was fruitless, almost detrimental to her children. Because knowledge that is true allows love to blossom into good fruit. Good fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. It's not fruit of fear or hate or division. It's the fruit of the Spirit. We are called to mature into the knowledge we've been given, to bear fruit because of it, to be transformed and changed to look different. So are we bearing fruit? Are we looking different? Are we getting sicker? Because what we thought was good and what is good is actually making us sick because it's not a complete picture of what we need. And the complete picture of what we need is Jesus in the fullness of his truth, not just a part of it. 
And when we understand that, then we mature, then we grow up, then we have the nutrition we need to grow. In Colossians 1, it says, so naturally we proclaim Christ. We warn everyone we meet and we teach everyone we can all that we know about him so that we may bring every man up to his full maturity in Christ. We are bold in declaring what we know about him, what we know about Jesus, not all we know about each other or ourselves or how church should go. Because here's the thing. This is where substituting real truth for a self-help truth can be dangerous. Let me give you an example. Your girl loves the Enneagram. But if we don't point it back to Jesus, then it can be an excuse to say, well, I act like this, or I have this sin pattern because I'm a three. It's because I'm an achiever and leaving it at that. Instead of being transformed into the likeness of God, instead of using that knowledge in the light of the gospel to pivot back and ask to be transformed into his image. We rally for the people of God to grow into maturity because we have to, we need to, or else we'll end up like the people that the prophet Hosea was declaring this truth from God's mouth. Hosea said, my people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. The more they increase, the more they sinned against me. I will change their glory into shame. We cannot mature or grow in stature without his knowledge and understanding. This is heavy, but we could destroy this generation if we are not literate in the things of heaven. Without the foundation and motivation of true study and truth. But we don't do it for our own glory, but the glory of God. In fact, he gives us both protection and a weapon in his word because he says in Ephesians 6, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on a full armor of God so that you can take a stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The word is a sword. And at that, sharper than a two-edged sword, like we hear in Hebrews. But what we often miss in the book of Ephesians and in this familiar passage is that we're, what we're fighting against is not each other. It's not other denominations. It's against anyone that would come and destroy unity in the people of God. Because the book of Ephesians is centered in this idea of unity, of being one in Christ, of bringing the bride of the church together. We have to discern this. We have to learn how to use the weapon of the word 
because otherwise we're going to see a lot of friendly fire. We're going to cut down a lot of brothers and sisters who just need to be pointed to Jesus and reminded of truth rather than being put to death by the weapon of the word that was never meant to put people to death, but bring people back to life in Jesus name. When we are unwilling to lay down the idol of being right, we miss out on God's abundance and his invitation to be made more like him. We miss out on going deeper into community and divine appointments by putting up the wall of you're wrong and I'm right. When we pretend like we have it all figured out, we miss out on a deeper revelation of who God is. So repeat after me. I get to declare that our God is righteous and surrender to the truth that I only see and hear in part. I get to lay down my false ideas about who God is and pick up the truth that he tells me in his word. I get to be refined and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. I get to admit that I'm wrong and I then get to be taught truth by my good father. Our standard is not proving that we're right. No, our starting line is entering into a humble pursuit of who God is in his righteous truth. That's what study is. That's what we're being invited into. So does anyone else need to throw off the idol of being right and admit that they have held being right over the presence of God, over his transformation, over his promise of understanding? That it's been hard to loosen our grip of what we've always known to embrace a deeper understanding of who our God is. To be willing to have hard conversations with one another and to allow each other to speak into one another and actually hear it, not just think about how we're going to rebuttal it. To not be so dang fearful that maybe we got it wrong, but trust that we serve a good father who cares more about our souls than the answers on our lips. That when we declare that he is our God, that he saved us, that we believe in him, that we give our lives to follow him, that's where he wants our hearts to be. And the rest is an exciting journey to learn the depths of our father's heart for us. We're not going to get to heaven and take a test. We're going to run to the arms of Jesus. Next week, we're going to continue this conversation on study. And we're going to really break down how we practically study to get past surface level Christianity into the depths of Jesus and God's heart for us. It's going to be good. And I hope you'll join us. You can easily do that by subscribing to this podcast or you'll see it on our Instagram. So until then, maybe it's time for us just to admit that we need God to walk with us in this struggle and declare that we serve God, not our own agenda and right answers. Talk to you next time.